This is Banks and Commentary. I'm your host, Candace Banks, and welcome <laughs> to the season finale. We made it through eight episodes, y'all, so thank you so much for sticking with me. Today, we'll be hearing from Minister Barbara Galloway. Minister Barbara is the Amazon best-selling author of Renewing Your Money Mind, How to Go from Common Sense to Kingdom Wealth. Now, Ms. Barbara offers a great perspective on money through the lens of biblical principles. This is a great episode. She talks from everything from talking with your children about money to investing to saving to co-signing on loans. This is a jam-packed episode, so let's go ahead and get into it. Because I say anything else you do can change you, but when you use the Bible, it transforms you, and it's a Mm -hmm. difference. Change can be temporary. Transformation is permanent. Good morning, Miss Barber. Good afternoon. Good evening. Wow. (laughs) Whenever y'all are listening to this, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Good, good. How have you been maintaining during COVID? Um, actually pretty good. It's been an adjustment, but you know, after nine months, you pretty much adjust you can adjust to any situation after nine months. Wow. Can you believe it's been nine months? This is a whole like term pregnancy. (laughs) How about that? I I like that. So the question is, what are you going to birth at the end of this? Okay. 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 (laughs) That's good. Oh, that's good. We might, we might have to go into that at some point. Um, so thank you so much for have uh, for coming on our show today. I really appreciate it. So uh, Miss Barbara is the author of a book called Renewing Your Money Mind, How to Go from Common Sense to Kingdom Wealth. And when I tell you her book gives you a new perspective on just finances, especially pertaining to what the Bible says about finances. Um, It's a really good book. I've really enjoyed it. So we're going to ask you a little bit about kind of your journey, some of the items in the book, some of the things that I was like, oh, can you explain that for the people? Um, So just want to start out understanding kind of where, what was your relationship with money when you were growing up? So when I was growing up, my parents always said, oh, money, they have this attitude, money is a secret. You know, you don't ask how much someone makes or you don't ask what the bills are. They didn't discuss money issues around their children. So it was kind of like a hush-hush secret thing, which isn't good because you don't really learn, you know, the truths that you need to learn. So that was pretty much, that was one of my experiences. The other experience was um, I was somewhat of a daddy's girl. And so I could pretty much get whatever I want. I wouldn't say I was spoiled. So I had this belief that money grew on trees. You know, if if I wanted something badly enough, if I asked, I'm sure, you know, I would have gotten it. Not that I took that for granted, but um, yeah. So I had this thing where, you know, money grows on trees and I can pretty much get whatever I want in life. So that was pretty much my attitude. I grew up in a moderate income home. So, you know, we weren't poor. We weren't well off either, but we were comfortable enough. So I didn't have need, lack or need or anything like that. That's good. And so you said, you know, money was a secret. Money was kind of hush hush about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So where did your journey with financial literacy begin? Oh, my journey began. Let's see. Well, actually, I when I went to college, I majored in accounting Mm -hmm. and then um, I got my MBA in finance. So that's where my, my journey began from a conceptual or theoretical perspective. But where it began personally was probably <laughs> sometime after that, as I allude to in the book, when I became a, a real adult, um, <laughs> became a mother, and at some point uh, became a single mom, 
um, when my husband and I divorced. And so that's when I really got a real taste of money and um, a whole different perspective at that point. Money became real and understanding how to, you know, that you need to balance your budget and make some hard choices and save and invest and all that kind of things came, came real at that point in my life. Gotcha. So what was a point where you were like, okay, this is, this is real life. What was that point for you? Well, I give a pretty transparent story in the book <laughs> that, you know, I graduated with a, a degree in accounting, um, like I said, an MBA in finance and top of my class. So I mm-hmm. had the knowledge of, of what you're supposed to do with money. I understood assets and liabilities and income and expenses. I understood all that, but that was more of a, from a, you know, business level, but the personal finances. And so even though I had all that understanding, I was still spending as I wanted to. I wasn't saving. I wasn't making, you know, good decisions. And so I got into a financial rut, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, probably was one step from filing bankruptcy. I mean, I could have easily have done that, but I, I didn't have to go that far. Mm-hmm. But I, I tell the story in the book how, you know, my car got snatched, lights didn't get did, turn on one day, me and Maya came home and I had to play a game with her. And, you know, I go into detail about that story, but that's when I knew I made it, needed to make some changes because I didn't mm-hmm. want my child to have bad money habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to start setting a foundation for her financially and for us. So I was like, I, something has to give. I said, I make too much money. I make <laughs> too much money to have yes. bill callers, bill collectors calling me because I had a, a very decent salary, mm-hmm. but yet bill collectors calling. I was stressed. I had no financial freedom, no peace of mind. And I knew something was out of whack. I said, something's wrong with this picture. Mm-hmm. I need to get myself together. That's so, good. Yeah. Some people wait too late in life to get to that point. Um, I wouldn't say too late, but they get a little bit lo- uh, later than most. And that's good that you were like, okay, we have something has to give, we have to make a change. So how did you start uh, changing what I like to call and what you also call your money mindset? I, I think I um, was in, driving in the car and I heard a radio advertisement at a church. They were advertising, um, I think it was Crown Financial Ministry at the time. It was mm-hmm. a particular six-week or 12-week class they were going to do, and it was going to teach you how to manage your money according to biblical principles. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I did not join that class for whatever reason I couldn't, but I found out, I did some research into the book they were going to be using and I I ordered the book and I kind of just taught myself. I just walked through it. Mm -hmm. And really it was a one-for-one match on on the Bible and how the Bible says you should manage money. It was the first time I had even thought about it from that perspective, Mm -hmm. that God is the owner of everything. He owns everything. And if you want to know how to use your resources, go to the creator, go to the person who created it and see what his purpose is for it. And so Mm -hmm. that was the beginning of my my walk in terms Mm -hmm. of connecting finances with scripture. And Mm -hmm. that literally changed my life because I say anything else you do can change you but when you use the Bible, it transforms you. And it's a mm. difference. Change can be temporary. Transformation is permanent. Mm, that's good. Oh, that's so good. And <laughs> so you said uh, it was Crown Financials, I believe. What Do you remember the title of the book that you read, just in case someone may want to read it? Oh, this was this was almost 30 years ago, 20-something <laughs> yeah. years ago. You're like, I, don't I don't remember the name. I know that that course was taught for a while the... The author, Larry Burkett, has since passed away, 
but those courses were taught in different churches, mm -hmm. as well as Dave Ramsey, mm -hmm. um, uh, Financial Peace University. That mm -hmm. is also taught in some churches. Um, I, I think that one may still be going on in different places. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but I don't remember the exact name of the book, to be honest, but That's I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Yeah, of course. And so what advice would you have for someone who might have been in the position that you were making a good income, you know, um, you know, have degrees in accounting or finance or maybe not even have that um, who wants to, you know, just position themselves to be able to start building wealth and building that kingdom mindset? I think you have to get a little sick and tired of mm -hmm. being sick and tired or being in that position. You have to make up, and that's anything in life when you want to change. You got to get to the point where enough's enough. Mm -hmm. And once you're committed to make a change and to do something different differently, then that's when you can. So mm -hmm. you know, I, I would I would tell someone in this position maybe um, read some some books on my book's a good one to start with renewing your money mind that would be a great book to start with yes uh, because again it's from a personal perspective and if you want to know how i came out of that situation you know i, I think that would be a good start really mm -hmm. to, to not just to plug my book but i think it's very very succinct some of those mm -hmm. other ones you know they're a little longer and there are a lot of financial books out there but mm -hmm. not very many that are out there from a biblical perspective mm -hmm. and that bring that personal element to it. So I would say that's a, a great first step. Read mm -hmm. the book. That's good. And, and the book, I'll link it in our description, but um, it, it is, like you said, it's very succinct and it'll give you a place to start. So if you want to, you know, expand on some of the concepts and the principles that are in the book, you can do that. And it even comes with kind of like a study guide, I like mm -hmm. to call it, because you do provide additional scriptures and activities um, for the individuals who, you know, are going through these different chapters to actually, you know, practice and, and go through that transformation like you're speaking of um, in the book. So definitely a great, great place to start. And you're talking a little bit about your daughter um, and how um, you, you said that y'all played a game with the lights and I'll let y'all read to figure out what that game was and, and how that came to be. Um, but once you started to get you know, um, your financial house in order, if you will. Uh, you said you brought your daughter Disney and JetBlue stocks and that helped her pay for her schooling, a down payment for her home and furniture for the house. So one thing that I'm curious about is how do you recommend introducing the kingdom concepts of saving and investing to your children? Well, that's a great question. I love that question because the concepts do need to start that young. Unfortunately, in our community, Mm -hmm. we we aren't always taught money. Just like I said, you know, growing up in my generation, it was a secret. And I, I think it's still that way even now, Sometimes, you know, probably yeah. with your generation. Yeah. So I think having those conversations, you know, not treating money as a secret, mm -hmm. let your children in on how much things cost, let them in on, you know, what you have to do to pay for something, saving. Um, another thing that I did with, with Maya was, um, when she wanted something, because being an only child, it's so easy to, to just spoil them and give them what they want, but I didn't want her to have that mindset. So one of the things that I did, maybe good for people to do with their children, whenever she wanted something like a big ticket item, like back then I remember camcorders were really popular and she wanted a camcorder. I said, well, if you, if you earn or raise half the money, I'll match it. Mm -hmm. And so I would give her chores and she would get points for the chores and she would get money, trade the, the points in for money. And then when she'd get half, 
I would match it. And, and the, the value is that is they value that item more often mm-hmm. closer because they actually had to invest in it versus you just buying it. And it mm-hmm. teaches them the delayed gratification. I can't just get something because I want it. I have to work towards it. And that's going to put off the goal for a while. Mm-hmm. And then one of the best lessons you can teach your child, you know, if you're a Christian, if you're in a Christian home is that God owns everything. Everything is God's. Mm-hmm. He is the source and the owner of everything. We're just managers. He asked us to manage the resources here on earth. And so when you realize nothing is really yours and you're just managing it, then it gives you a different perspective as well. So mm-hmm. I think those are some good lessons for children. But the main thing is just have that, that open dialogue about mm-hmm. money. Gotcha. That's good. And and what what are some practical ways? So you said, you know, building up chores and, and allowing Maya to pay for kind of half of the big ticket items. But when we're thinking about having those conversations, uh, I don't have any children, but I, I would, I, I don't think I'd even know where to start, uh, with those conversations. So do you have some, um, ideas about that? I do. And it, and the ideas come from the things that I didn't get. I, I was <laughs> not taught when I was a child. So for instance, you know, take your children grocery shopping with you or mm-hmm. any kind of shopping and compare prices, you know, mm-hmm. so you're buying some spaghetti sauce show them that there's this spaghetti sauce on the high shelf that's a little cheaper, but the one right at eye level is more expensive. Well, that's Mm. intentional. They put the higher one at at eye level, but ask them, you know, there's really no difference in the quality. Mm. So pay attention to what you're buying. I mean, even if you're buying them clothes or tennis shoes, get them to start paying attention to the price. I never paid attention to price. I mean, Mm. it was a long time before I paid attention to price because I just, it wasn't, my attention wasn't called to it. Mm. So making them aware of, of, you know, being good consumers um, mm. and, and, and not just being consumers, but being investors too. And you, mm. you alluded to the fact of me buying my daughter's stock. And one mm. of the reasons I did that is I wanted her to not just be a consumer, but realize you can be an investor in that company. So mm. when I bought her shares of Disney and shares of General Mills and JetBlue and, mm. you know, she would see these companies on TV or something. She's like, oh, I own them. So rather than just <laughs> purchasing you know, at 12 years old, she's get the concept of she's an owner, mm. you know, an investor. And so, That's you know, it's, it's, it's little, the lessons are all over if you really look for them, ways to yeah. teach our children and have those conversations. That's good. And you just got to get creative. You got to get yes. creative with it. You said you printed out little certificates and mm-hmm. you like wrapped them up. So make it as fun for them. And it's fun for you and people watching and listening. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's good. That's good. And then you also mentioned she was able to go to a private university, private, mind you, um, mm-hmm. with no student loans. So um, on, on that same vein, how do you recommend listeners start saving for a child, your child's education? So let me just say student loans are uh, the devil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're needed. And, you know, and, I, and my hat's off to everyone who has taken the time to invest in themselves. You know, student loans is is debt, but it's it's in a way it's good debt because anytime mm-hmm. you're investing in yourself, oh, you're investing in something that if it's debt, that's going to turn into something that's going to appreciate. And so, when you're investing in your education, that's appreciation because there's going to be return on your investment. There's going to be return for that money, just like a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you get a mortgage, which is debt, but it's an investment. You're going to get a return on it. So those are, education is kind of a good debt. But still, if you don't have to have it at all, that's even better. 
mm-hmm. because sometimes when you when you graduate, you have these loans, you're in the hole. Mm-hmm. So one of the things um, I did early on is I purchased a 529 plan, mm-hmm. a Maryland 529 plan, and every state has one, state 529s. And in doing that, you get a, a state tax break mm-hmm. in addition to your prepaying college. Mm-hmm. So you pay for the the cost of college today, even though in tomorrow in the future it's going to be higher, you pay whatever the cost is for today mm-hmm. and you get to break it up. So if you, if you get a 529, the minute your child is born and they get a social security number, you have 18 years to be paying mm-hmm. for their college versus okay. waiting until they're 18. And now you're paying immediately. Mm-hmm. So a 529 is really, really good. That was um, something I used to help support my, uh, also, you know, some of the stock I bought. I really didn't use a lot of the stock I bought her to pay for mm-hmm. college. I may have cashed out, you know, a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's so that good. was the main way. And then just making some changes in my my um, daily income. I just made some adjustments and some changes. I sacrificed for the four years and That's some good. of that I just paid out of my my income. Wow. Wow. Power to the moms. Wow. <laughs> moms are great. That's awesome. And it's awesome when you're, you are able to give your kids a, a good financial backing. Cause I know that student loans is such a big thing for so many people. Yeah. Um, and it's holding them back from, you know, um, buying homes and, and really building up that wealth. So uh, what are some advice that you have to people who might be going into college and like, Hey, I don't, I don't have anyone who could have paid for everything. I have to take out these student loans. What are some advice that you can give to those individuals? Sure. And first, let me just read, reiterate kudos, kudos to them, kudos to anyone who is furthering their education because that's the ticket to be able to do better, you know, get a great job. So, um, but I I would just say if at all possible, in any way possible, possible, if you can't totally not get loans, try to minimize the amount of loans that you have to get. Some people get more loans than they need just because they want that money in their pocket. Mm, That's not a great idea because you got to pay that money back with interest. So get the minimum amount you need is the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, apply for scholarships and grants and fellowships. There are a lot of them out there. A lot of times people don't want to do the work, you mm-hmm. know, writing essays or, but there are a lot of fellowships and grants and scholarships and things out there. And that means you really need to be paying attention to what you're doing in high school. Try to get your grades up, mm-hmm. try to be involved in extracurricular activities, mm-hmm. you know, study for your SATs, all those things that may help give you a leg up. If, you, if you're great at an instrument or sport, anything mm-hmm. that can help get your degree paid for, you want to think about doing that. And then going to a two-year college, community college is not a bad idea at mm-hmm. all. Much more affordable. You can go two years, get your AA degree, and then maybe transfer somewhere. And now you're only paying two years at the higher university price. Mm-hmm. So there are a variety of things that you can do, but I want to stress, get the amount of loan, the minimum amount of loan that you can. Mm, that's good. That's good. The minimum and the minimum might be like you having scholarships to help supplement. So yes. um, that's awesome. I know the school that I went to, um, for people who don't know, I went to University of Virginia. They have a uh, linkage program with some of the um, 
the community colleges in Virginia. So, you know, you make it through two years, you have the opportunity to go to UVA after that. So um, I'm pretty sure some other states have similar programs. So if that is a route that you can go, definitely take advantage of every opportunity that they have there. And again, kudos for doing the work, like, you know, actually investing in yourself and, and, you know, putting yourself in this, this better position. So definitely kudos for that. Um, Absolutely. yeah, and you're a cavalier. Have, you're a cavalier, right? I'm a cavalier. Right. Um, so with that, I know that um you talked to your daughter when you were thinking about, you know, getting getting good jobs after school and and you know, there's de- definitely different schools of thought uh in that regard as well. But there's a conversation that you had about automated automatic deduction. So making sure like we're automatic um automating savings, we're automating, you know, our 401k contributions and, and things like that. So you said, uh, when you had a conversation with Maya, when she got her first quote unquote, big girl job, what, how did that go when it came to automatic deductions? What was that conversation like? So the conversation was, well, to Maya's credit, she you know, didn't hesitate to seek my advice. And, she, you know, she respected my wisdom around these things. And so one of the first things she said, she came to me and she says, okay, I'm getting paid. Help me figure out what I need to do. I want to do this right. And she really wanted to get it right. She really wanted to manage her finances right. And so that's, that's part of the first step mm-hmm. is wanting, like I said earlier, you know, wanting to do better, wanting to make a commitment to have sound financial practices. And so I sat down with her and we talked about budgeting, Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, whatever you do, you have to be putting money away. You have to let your money grow. Put your money somewhere where it's growing. Mm-hmm. Albert Einstein, I think I put this in the book, Albert Einstein, he mm-hmm. said that the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. You know, there are seven wonders of the world. Well, he said the mm-hmm. eighth wonder is compound interest. The compound mm-hmm. interest is when your money's earning money. Mm-hmm. And the only way your money earns money is if it's in the market, if it's in the system somewhere, you know, stocks, investments, stocks, bonds. Um, mutual funds to a lesser degree certificates of deposits mm-hmm. um, unfortunately passport passport saving accounts don't really earn a lot of interest anymore at all mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. but you want your money because you're asleep yeah. and your money's making money you know your money's sitting yes. out there in the market making money yeah. so i i told her you know uh, automatic deductions what that allows you to do is every payday automatically your, your job will, before they cut your check, they will send a certain amount to a bank account of your choosing and, or to, you know, in her case, you send it to a bank and that bank was putting it to a mutual fund. You never miss the money. You get used to, because you never see it. It never hits your account. So, you know, your regular checking account. Mm-hmm. And so she did that for two years and ended up with enough money to uh, get a down payment for her home. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to plug another book here because this book, it's called Automatic Millionaire. Mm. And I can't think of the author's name right now, but it's another short read and it is profound. Mm. Automatic Millionaire. And really, you don't even have to read the book because the whole premise of the book, it's really, really short, but the whole premise is automatic deductions. You can become a millionaire just from doing automatic deductions. If you start Mm. early enough in life and if you do it right. So that book has been a bestseller for years. That's good. 
I have heard of that book and I'll put it, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, but I haven't read it. So this'll, okay. this'll be one of the things that's like, okay, Candace, go read the book. Um, yeah. which is, once you automate those things, especially if you're in, in your daughter's case, if you're doing it in the very beginning of starting a job or very big, or as soon as you get a raise, you never see it. So you never get used to living off of X amount of dollars per month. So mm-hmm. having them automatic, you don't have to think about it. You don't get tempted. I, I have a weakness for Chick-fil-A. So I don't get <laughs> tempted to like put it in my entertainment fund. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, um, so that's definitely good. Having those automated deductions, choosing, you know, if it's going to be a 401k contribution, Roth, mutual fund, any, all, any and all of that. Sure. Um, choosing that sure. early and having them automated there. And, and I'm glad you said that because it, it should be, because that's one of the things I told Maya. So you, you want, you want different stages of savings. So mm-hmm. a, a Roth IRA is just what it says, individual retirement account. Mm-hmm. So that's long-term, you know, once you retire. So you definitely want to be saving to that, but then you want um, immediate savings too. So something like investments, you know, whether it's stock or mutual fund, for maybe short-term goals like a home or a car or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, your children's education, but IRA and Roth and things like that, that's that's retirement. You definitely want to be saving for that now. I mean, the mm-hmm. earlier you start saving for your, your retirement, the better off you'll be. I mean, you can retire a millionaire. It, it's mm-hmm. doable. It mm-hmm. is really doable. Yes, that's good. That's good. And starting early, right? So as soon yeah. as y'all hear this podcast, go set yeah. up, go figure out what a Roth IRA is. It's on Banks and Commentary, uh, Instagram. And then from there, go ahead and... Or a regular IRA, Roth IRA and regular IRA. The difference is taxes. There's this thing with whole taxes. But yeah, we're going we're gonna, to get a whole different conversation. <laughs> but uh, basically an individual retirement account or 401k, if your job has one, anything that's building towards your retirement, you definitely want to start investing in that now because time, you can't get time back. You cannot. That's good. And so my question then is kind of what are, how do you recommend someone start learning about investing ways to invest in some of these uh, retirement accounts? Um, as a beginner and, and aside from listening to banks and commentary, but some other <laughs> things that you would recommend for them. I definitely recommend banks and commentary. I actually listened to your um, last, the first podcast and uh-huh. it was really, really good. Uh, I think you. she's 23 years old and she bought her first home and got out of a hundred thousand dollars out of college debt. Yes. It was fascinating, fascinating. And it was some great advice, some great nuggets. I, I co-sign on everything that you guys discuss. That's good. That. Thank you. Thank you. So, I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're going to have more of that, then I would say definitely listen to Banks and Commentary <laughs> and, and, and the guests that you're going to have coming up in the future. Um, again, definitely read, read, mm-hmm. make sure you're, you're reading good sound books. Um, but it's, and, and start maybe, um, I say subscriptions to, to things like, but you don't even have to get subscriptions down. You just download apps to things mm-hmm. like, um, um, the Wall Street Journal is kind of high up there, but there are different money. Uh, none of them are coming to mind right now. I have a couple on my app on my phone. CNBC is a good one. Yeah. CNBC. Yeah. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. M- money news. Um, there's some, some s- Motley Fool stock advisor. That's They're good. good. That's good. So just, Sign up for maybe to get those kind of newsletters and pings and, you know, things just read in your, in your leisure. 
Mm-hmm. But the more you can listen and your ears can perk up when you hear conversations around money, mm-hmm. it'll start sinking in a little bit more. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. And, and, and as long as you start, right, if it's listening to this podcast and then going through some of the book recommendations that you have, I know for me personally, um, how I started my, my uh, road to financial uh, literacy and I, I'm still on the road, like I'm still chugging mm-hmm. along. Um, but I started listening to podcasts. Uh, the mm-hmm. first one that I listened to um, was Bigger Pockets. Uh, that was the real estate podcast back then, but that led me to a whole bunch of different books and other podcasts. And they have a whole plethora of podcasts now. So that's kind of where I started. And that's what helped me was first listening to podcasts and whatever they recommend. That's what I did. <laughs> and yeah, that's, what that's I great. That's so, great. I definitely agree with you. Getting those subscriptions, listening, and and whenever you can ask people questions, uh, do that. Right. That's that's like my selfish reason for starting a podcast. Not that's only- a great reason. That's a great. <laughs> and some people are audio learners, so podcast mm-hmm. works for them. And others are visual, and maybe they need to read. So you know, it just depends on what. And others are a tangent, or they need to touch it and and do right. it by example. So, and you can also take classes at community college, non credit mm-hmm. courses for like next to nothing. You can just sign up for uh, an investment course if you really want to learn. Yeah. I mean, non-credit course, it's not expensive at all. Mm -hmm. You'll get a whole semester worth of um, knowledge, online courses. That's good. That's good. I didn't even know that. No, that was an option. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to look into that as well. Yeah. PG Community College offers a a whole host of uh, non-credit courses. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. And so we talked a little bit about now investing and you did a great job in the book talking about uh, being a lender versus a borrower. Do you mind explaining what the Bible says about lending and borrowing? Yes. So the Bible actually says that we are the lender and not the borrower. We are to be the lender and not the borrower. We, we should be the ones in a position to 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 give money as opposed to needing to um borrow because when you're a borrower, you're the slave to the lender. Mm-hmm. Meaning if you owe somebody, then they are kind of, you know, wagging you around if you would. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and actually being a lender, people don't really think of it this way, but whenever you invest, if you buy a share of stock mm-hmm. in let's say Apple, for instance, mm-hmm. you've lent them your money. You can be a lender to Apple or to Microsoft or to Amazon, these huge companies, because that's all you're doing. When you're investing shares. You're lending mm-hmm. them money. That's when so you're being a lender. So it doesn't mean necessarily you're lending money to family members or anything like that. It's actually another word for an investor. Mm-hmm. And that's so much better because now you're lending them money and you're getting interest on that mm-hmm. versus borrowing. And now I'm paying interest. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference. If you, got, if you have a lot of debt and you're borrowing, then you have to pay interest. It's much better to be the one collecting the interest. Right, for sure. Yeah. I I like the checks, and I, I don't like where I don't like giving money away. Right, right. <laughs> and and there's this parable in the Bible. It's called the parable of the talents, mm-hmm. and it talks about this servant went away and he left um, a master went away and he left three of his servants. One he gave one 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 talent and another two and another five. And when he came mm-hmm. back, the person who had five had doubled it, mm-hmm. and the person who had two had had doubled his, and the person who had one buried it. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that the one who buried it, they called him lazy and slothful because mm-hmm. they didn't earn any money on that money that they had. So mm-hmm. we're expected as good stewards 
I was talking earlier that we're stewards, managers of God's money. We're expected to take what we have and to multiply it. That's what that scripture means, be fruitful and multiply. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just mean have babies. Mm -hmm. It means take what you have been given on this earth and multiply it, be fruitful Mm -hmm. with it. That's so good. Investing is one way to do that. Yeah, that's it. And I like the way that you break that down, because a lot of times when it comes to those scriptures or when it comes to the parable of the talents, we don't, well, at least I've only heard it rarely be equated to uh, money and investing and things like that. I always hear it of, you know, your purpose, your gifts and things Mm. that you have in this world. But part of what we are, at least for uh, me, what I want to do in the kingdom is I want to be able to, you know, present this knowledge, especially for people of color. And so that we can, you know, further our purpose. Like if I don't mm-hmm. have the financial backing to do it, it's going to make very, make it very hard. So part of that is also investing so that I can further my purpose within the kingdom. So oh, I love you, Candace. I love you. I absolutely love you. You are phenomenal. Thank you are you phenomenal. So Thank you. I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation um, because I do feel like, you know, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but Um, A lot of times in the church, we really don't talk about money. And I feel like if we want to further what it is that God has us doing, we have to talk about it. And it's not a bad thing to talk about, you know? Um, So that's just me on my soapbox. (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. Because the Bible, God talks about money more than any, I I think I put that in there, more than this topic of of love. And he talks about money more than anything, like 2,546 times. Mm. He's talked about money. So he he knew that that was going to be important to us and it was going to be a stronghold and a, a, a tripping point for a lot of people. So he put the answers in there, the resolution. There's not one issue you will run into dealing with money that the answer isn't in the Bible. You just mm. have to know where to find it and how to interpret it. Wow, that's good. And a lot of those scriptures are in the book, guys. A lot yes. of those scriptures. So if you want to start, you know, changing your perspective on that, it's definitely there to to start the study. Hey, y'all, this is Candace. So I had to interrupt today's episode to ask you a question. Come on, lean in close, lean in close. Did you subscribe? Did you leave us a review? Did you download the episode? See, look, you're sitting on the couch, you're watching TV, and your life is just passing you by. You keep procrastinating over and over saying, well, maybe I'll subscribe next week. Maybe I'll leave a review in season two. No, do that right now. You're on the phone all day anyhow. All you got to do is pick up your little phone and hit the subscribe button. Why y'all making it complicated? It's easy. Now let's go ahead and get back into the episode. Um, and then you talked about, you know, being the lender versus the borrower. So we talked about borrowing it in regards to student loans, for instance. So do you mind explaining the difference between a good debt versus a bad debt? Because sometimes we're going to have to borrow. Um, but if we if we position it correctly, it won't necessarily be a bad thing. Do you mind talking about that? Yes. Yeah, so basically a good debt would be anything that is going to give you a return on your investment. Mm-hmm. You're borrowing borrowing the money now, but it's for something that's going to appreciate. So mm-hmm. education, for instance. So yeah, I'm borrowing a hundred thousand or 50,000, whatever to get an mm-hmm. education. But at the end of the day, when I get this degree in the four years, when I get this degree, I can now go out and get a job, maybe making 60, 70, 80,000 where without the degree, 
I might not have been able to make that amount. I mean, there are people without degrees who can make that amount, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's harder and it's more rare. Mm-hmm. So that's good debt. But again, mm-hmm. the best debt is no debt. Yes. <laughs> that, the best debt is no debt. But mm-hmm. then if you have to get debt, you know, for something like that, another, I think I mentioned early is a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, debt to buy a house mm-hmm. is good debt because your house is going to appreciate. So again, it's almost like money in the bank. Mm-hmm. You know, even if the market drops for a while and the real estate market goes down, eventually you stay in your house long enough, it's going to outpace the market. You're going, it's going to be an appreciation there. So mm-hmm. again, that's considered good debt. Most other debt is is bad debt because you're buying a product that's going to depreciate a car. Mm-hmm. It's going to depreciate clothes. It's going to depreciate just about anything you buy one day is going to end up in the junkyard. Mm-hmm. So think about that. When you buy this this shiny new whatever it is, it's going to end up in the junkyard one day because yep. it's depreciating. Yeah. And then the speaking of debt, there's one um, kind of, uh, I don't, it's not a tangent, but a, uh, you broke this down in such a way that I had never, never heard of before. Well, you talked a little bit about the Bible's caution against co-signing. Um, mm. Do you mind? Do you mind explaining that a little bit here and give give the people a taste of what's in your book? Yeah, you know, I it was kind of eye opening for me when I learned about it several, several, several years ago mm-hmm. that the Bible talks against co-signing. There are four different scriptures mm-hmm. that talks against co-signing. I'm like four times it's been put in there. So mm-hmm. when God allowed something to be put in the Bible four times. It's like, yes. he really wants you to get this. <laughs> Hear this clearly. Co-signing. Co-signing is bad for so many reasons. And co-signing basically means somebody wants to uh, enter into debt. Like maybe they want to buy a car or they want to buy something that they can't afford. And, and so their credit isn't good enough. And then the the person, the company or whatever says, well, if you get someone to co-sign, then I'll allow you to buy this product meaning if you allow them me to use their credit too. And so what you're doing is saying, when you co-sign, you're saying, if this person defaults on this loan, then I'll back them. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to do that because for one, mm-hmm. if the person was reliable enough, they wouldn't have to get a co-signer. So you're signing up with somebody who chances are they, they may default. And then another thing, reason it's so bad is you're allowing a person already in a bad way to get further in debt. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of, you're co-signing, not just on the loan, but you're co-signing on their condition too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really not wise. I mean, personally, through, through my years of living, I've had people to come to me and ask, hey, you know, not a lot, but mm-hmm. co-signing or even a loan. Mm-hmm. And more so the loan, I've had people. And I truly would, my practice has been, if I can't afford to give them the money, then mm-hmm. I just say no. But I typically would just say, here, you know what? I'm just going to give you this as a one-time gift. Mm-hmm. Because I figure if I give you a loan, you need the loan because you're in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm just making you in a worse situation. Mm-hmm. And also, when you give people the money, they're not going to come back to you. You give them a loan, they, they kind of it's a revolving door. Yeah. So my practice has been... If somebody comes and says, hey, I need to borrow, I'll just give it to them. I mean, unless it's an exorbitant amount. Again, if it's an amount that I can afford, if I can't afford to give it to them, then I typically will say no. That's good. That's just been my practice. That's good. And then 
going off of that a little bit, my the first thing that came to my head when you're talking is like, okay, so what if I have kids and they they need me to co-sign on the, you know, to get a car or something like that? How do you recommend that you start building credit either for your children or help whomever, you know, you're working with start to build their credit? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I get that question a lot. And that's a tough question because as parents, we want to do whatever we can to help our children. Mm-hmm. But one of the things in not co-signing, and if you tell them why you're not co-signing, you're kind of telling them about debt. You're telling them about the dangers of debt early on. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this in the book too. There are ways that you can establish credit mm-hmm. uh, without somebody co-signing. You can get a guaranteed credit card, for instance. You know, mm-hmm. it could be a credit card with just a hundred dollar balance, but you keep that, you have that amount tied to your debit account. And so, and, and you know, you pay that off enough times, they'll increase it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a small, like you mentioned earlier, rightfully mm-hmm. so, you can go buy a car that's, we used to call it a hoopty. I don't know if you all still call it that. <laughs> a putt-putt, a hoopty. A putt-putt. <laughs> you can probably get a, a, a $2,000 loan to pay for a car like that and mm-hmm. pay it off and, you, you know, mm-hmm. next time you can get a bigger car. So there's there are ways to build your credit, but too mm-hmm. often we want to jump out there to the huge thing, and then you mm-hmm. need a co-signer. But if you're getting small amounts of credit, you usually can get that approved mm-hmm. to build your credit. That's good. Um, so small, small, I'm sorry, small amounts of debt. But again, it should be reasonable and just to build your credit. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't recommend parents co-signing because mm-hmm. you're kind of, establishing that pattern for your your children mm-hmm. that's good I, I never co-signed for anything for Maya uh, yeah. just that makes sense and my my parents never did either um yeah. I know for me my sister was super helpful my sister and I are 14 years apart she's 14 years older than I am she was super helpful uh in helping me build my credit so what she she told me that she wouldn't co-sign <laughs> but, <laughs> smart sister <laughs> But what she did was uh, she told me to get start with, actually, I started with a Wells Fargo credit card. I do remember this. And they had then, they might have it now, where I was a college student, I could use something to get a credit card. And I think mm-hmm. my first limit was like $300. So mm-hmm. I made sure I always use 30% less or less than 30% of the available credit. I just used it to buy groceries one time and I would pay it off afterwards. Um, then I got a, a secured credit card from Navy Federal. Navy Federal is a godsend. Uh, <laughs> but I yeah. got a secured credit card from them. And then after three or four months, it, it became like a regular credit card. So that's how I actually started building my credit. And I think this was my second year of college. So um, that helped me, uh, especially when graduating and things like that. So if you can start with small things, remember, you know, don't max things out. Make sure you yeah. take it off every month. Um, that's a that's how I started, and I would recommend anyone you know start their themselves or their kids like that. That's perfect. That yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Nice, nice. And then also switching gears a little bit from co-signing and lending and borrowing to tithing and sewing. Um, so can you explain first of all what tithing is and why it's important to Christians? Oh, wow. Yes. For this one, I definitely say you need to read the book because I kind of, <laughs> I give a whole lot of caveats and, you know, tithing is such a controversial topic mm. for people. It's a tough topic and it, it shouldn't be. 
it's not it's not controversial from the Bible's perspective. It's controversial from people's perspective. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because you're asking people to part with their money. And mm-hmm. so that's something people love and hold dear. So mm-hmm. anytime you're asking people to part with their money and they're not going to see the physical return, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> now, there is a return. They just don't necessarily see it, in, you know, in the natural eye. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I, I say in the chapter six, the tithing chapter, I say, before you even embark on reading this chapter, pray and ask God to open your eyes so you can mm-hmm. see the truth because it, it is, it's, it's tough for people who had never thought of it, but really tithing is just saying out of everything you make, all of your, the fruit that God allows you to bring in, you should give 10% back to him mm-hmm. and that's all he asked for in the Bible. He asked for 10%. And really he asked for this 10%, not because he needs it. God doesn't need anything. Everything is his, mm-hmm. but it's to, it's to guard our heart and to make sure our heart isn't so tied up in money. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also an obedience thing too. And it's also a trust thing as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just 10%. We get to keep the whole 90%. We get to manage the whole 90%. It's just 10%. And so, you know, without getting too deep into the whole kingdom con- conversation, you know, you know, if you're a believer, then you're part of the kingdom, the kingdom mm-hmm. of God here on earth. Well, mm-hmm. any, any country you're part of, you need to pay taxes. So mm-hmm. tithing is the kingdom tax. Basically, mm-hmm. if you're part of the kingdom, then you should be paying your 10% tithe, but it's so much more. It's, it's a much deeper conversation than, you know, I can really go into in this forum because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot tied, but the book does a good job of kind of breaking it down. And, and really, it's to break people's love of money. You have to have something that breaks our love of money because the, mm-hmm. the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. It says it's the root of all evil, not some, mm-hmm. all. So mm-hmm. any evil you think about, any evil you think about on this earth, it's tied to the love of money. Isn't mm-hmm. that awesome? Have you ever thought about that? I haven't. When you said all, I haven't. Like, that's why I was over here like, mm, yeah, it's the root of good. all evil. So wow. my question when I wrote this book was, how do I, I would love to break people's love of money. And, and that's what this is about. It's really mm-hmm. getting people to think differently about money. You know, we don't live mm-hmm. for money. It can't, it shouldn't control us. Let, let's mm-hmm. let go of that love of it. And tithing is one way to do that. When you can give 10% of everything you make, your heart starts changing. Mm. and there are promises that come along with tithing. Mm-hmm. So I don't say you have to tithe. I said you get to tithe. You mm-hmm. get the opportunity to tithe, to give back, and then see all the blessings that are going to come your way. But again, it's, it's, it's so much deeper and longer, and, and I can go off on a tangent, and I'm wow. going to reel it in. So hopefully that <laughs> answers your question enough. Yeah, it did. And one thing that struck out to me in that last section was the heart piece, like the heart posture. Like you can be doing all of these things, but where is your heart, you know? Yes. And uh and I really do appreciate you talking about that and 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 saying, you know, tithing is 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 changing your heart posture, it's breaking that down. And uh that's one thing that I was like, "Ooh, let me let me go back and and think about this." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> Yeah, there's a scripture that says where your treasure is, there too, that's where your heart will be. Mm-hmm. So wherever you're putting your money, your heart's going to be there. And I give an example about if, you know, if you are passionate about um, Alzheimer's, for instance, and you're giving to that organization, you know, you're going to always perk up when you hear about developments in that or, you know, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's good. And then why do you think there's such a negative connotation around tithing in the, the church? 
Well, unfortunately, because some churches, not all, but some churches have become, they're part of the world too. And, they, and that love of money has entered into that church mm-hmm. because they're human. You know, humans are leading churches. And, and so that, that love of money is in all, it has the potential to be in all humans. And so it, mm-hmm. churches are led by people and humans. And sometimes they're money focused. And mm-hmm. so some churches have gotten a bad reputation because there are a few churches that are just want the money of the people. And so then people don't have trust. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the pastor is going to use my money to go buy a Rolls Royce and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And so, but at the heart of it is that people don't want to part with their money. That's at mm-hmm. the heart of tithing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's telling you to give 10% because actually you give your 10% and you don't worry about what happens. Your responsibility is to give mm-hmm. and the, it, you don't, you don't tie yourself to the end. Whatever happens, happens. That's between God and that person. But you've been obedient. You've done your part. You can't be tied to the result in this in this instance. God will will handle that. But that's I think great. I think it's been a few instances that's made it bad um, mm-hmm. for yeah. every you know for a lot of other people. Yeah, but you said at the end of the day, and I definitely agree with you. At the end of the day, it's you know you give the money and it is what it is. They'll, they're going to have to, you know, answer to God for what they did (laughs) with people's money. But, you know, hopefully you're in a church where you feel trusting and comfortable with, uh, with where the the, the scripture doesn't say, bring ye all the ties in the storehouse. If this storehouse proves worthy, it doesn't say that it says bring (laughs) ye all the ties into the storehouse so that there'll be meat in my house. It, it, there's no condition on that. You Mm -hmm. just do your part and, and, and worry about, can't worry about the rest, but that's good. That's good. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about you, you, you equated sewing to giving? Um, mm-hmm. can you, can you explain the difference between tithing and sewing? Yeah. So, um, I break this down pretty good in the book as well. So mm-hmm. tithing is just giving 10% back to God is returning. He, he, he allowed you to be blessed with the salary, with the income. And you say, here's 10% back just to thank him, mm-hmm. to be obedient, to show that you, your heart. But then, then, then when you have the 90%, mm-hmm. you sow from the 90%, mm-hmm. you sow or you give. Sow means just to, you know, spread. Like if you sow seeds, you're spreading. Mm-hmm. That's from the 90%. That's where your, your, your giving begins. Mm-hmm. And, and there, you know, a whole host of ways to give and people to give to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I talk about giving, you know, up, down, sideways. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that softens your heart as well. When you give, you, it, it loosens money's hold on you Mm. because you're able to share and, and, and bless those maybe who are less fortunate than you. And I even talk about blessing those who are more fortunate than you. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said about, sowing into the person you want to be or the place you want to be you pour mm-hmm. into that then you know you're going to get favor and so yeah I, I break that down pretty good as well in the book that's sewing good and giving that's good and so how do you how do you balance giving with having good financial sense so a lot of times we might want to give everything away but it's like <laughs> you, you know you have to my pastor always says I love this phrase that he uses is is function in the tension between and he'll add you know whatever the two things are so mm-hmm. how do you function in the tension between you know giving but also making sure that you are good yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to tell you that that is 
something I still mm-hmm. wrestle with. And I say wrestle because I'm one of those people where I could almost give away my whole paycheck and life savings. I just because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very empathetic and I just um, see needs all around me. So you mm-hmm. do have to reel it in and say, okay, mm-hmm. you know, you can even budget giving, you can put it in your budget, say, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm after I do my 10% tithing and after my payment bills, I'm going to always make sure I'm giving $15 to some cause every mm-hmm. payday or, you know, you, you can budget it that way. Mm-hmm. Or you can, if you're more spiritual, you can just pray and ask God to show you opportunities to give and, you know, the amounts that you should give. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is, it is a challenge if, yeah. if you're a giving naturally giving person. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, and also, you know, like you're, like you're saying, the Bible tells us, you know, uh, you everything but also it also tells us that he wouldn't withhold any good thing from us so if you do ask god and you're seeking god for Mm -hmm. guidance on this Mm -hmm. um i do believe he'll show it to you yeah yeah Yeah. that's good because sometimes we give and we're not supposed to give sometimes you may give something to somebody and you may be hindering sometimes Mm. people may need to hit rock bottom and Mm. they may need to feel what they're walking in and what they're creating for themselves and here you come and you bail them out Mm -hmm. I'll say, here I come and I bail them out. And Mm -hmm. then they never get that lesson. So that's why it's kind of important to kind of seek God's guidance in in, in giving sometimes and make sure this is an area you should give and you're not hindering a person. That's good. That's so good. Yeah. And yeah, seek seek his guidance. He'll let us know. He'll let let us know. Um, there's one thing that I want to pivot to really quickly, uh, before we finish up today was money and marriage. Do you mind talking about that a little bit? Mm, Sure. What do you want to know? (laughs) It's very broad. (laughs) So, um, how, how should two come together when it comes to finances? I know that money is one of the biggest things that, uh, cause a divorce. So how, how should one, um, start, you know, come together about finances. Yeah, that's, um, you're absolutely right. I think it's one of the top two causes for divorce finances. Mm-hmm. So I'd say first and foremost, before you get married to have these conversations, you know, when you start dating someone, if you see it's something serious or going in a certain direction, you need to start having those conversations. You know, hey, what do you believe about credit? What do you believe about tithing? Um, you know, what is your credit score? Mm-hmm. I mean, the main thing, I don't think there's nothing, there's anything you can't get over and get beyond. I'm not saying if you meet someone and they have a horrible credit score, then leave them. No, because maybe that person, you know, knows that they have that and they're on a path to improve it or, but so, but I'm saying you have to at least have that conversation and mm-hmm. the person has to at least have an awareness and a willingness to, to meet you where you are. And because the Bible talks about couples being equally yoked. And they're talking about spiritually, but then I believe you need to be equally yoked financially too. Because Mm -hmm. if you're married to somebody, you know, this person believes everything should be charged, run your credit up, and then someone else who has opposite belief, that's going to cause friction and tension. Mm -hmm. So you want to be equally yoked in finances as well. And you want to have those conversations in advance. I don't too much get into the um, nitty gritty in, in, in suggesting how you handle your money as a married couple. Like some people say you should have a joint account. Some say you have your own account. I don't get into that. I I think Mm -hmm. it's whatever you decide, but I do think you have to have the fundamental beliefs in common when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. Otherwise there's, there are going to be problems if you don't. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. And and this is coming from someone who's single right now, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone is kind of in a relationship and they're like, yo, uh, my my partner spends a lot of money and I'm the frugal friend over here or or what have you, um, how how do you recommend like helping your partner uh, achieve that kingdom mindset of, okay, let's go ahead and tithe, let's save, let's, you know, not use a whole bunch of debt. How do you recommend having that mindset shift? That's a tough one. And not to sound like a broken record, but I have them read Renewing Your Money Mind. Yes, yes. Be- because it talks about mindsets. And sometimes I, I know who people who've read this book, I mean, fortunately my book has um, made it to, it became a number three bestseller on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard, you know, from a lot of people who've read it, and so for some people, they say it's the first time they ever thought about a mindset, having a money mindset. They never even thought about it. They, mm-hmm. they, they never thought they saw themselves in one of those five mindsets that I described. Mm-hmm. So I know it can be an eye opener. So it could be a gentle way to have somebody um, start thinking differently because it's hard sometimes to tell your partner you're this, you're that. They hear it as mm-hmm. criticism. But if you say, hey, I read this book or, you know, check it out. Mm-hmm. It could be, or this book, or you know, another book. But I know this one talks about the mindsets and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So that could be one way. But you definitely have to proceed with caution because you have to realize when you're in a relationship, that person wasn't raised the way you were. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same filters and outlook and experiences, and so you can't mm-hmm. expect them to think like you. But you want to come to um, a meeting of the minds. You want to come to the middle ground. So you kind of have to help bring them along mm-hmm. as, as gently and as lovingly as you can without being critical because we know that backfires, right? Yes. You, know, you yes, criticize and try to change somebody that backfires. So yes. I'd say more, more so influence and try to share the wisdom that you have in a gentle way. That's good. That's good. I, well, I think about just real quick. I think about mm-hmm. um, Michelle Obama. She said when she met Barack Obama, he picked her up in a car, a little beat up hoopty. <laughs> But what did you, what did you call it? Putt, putt. It had putt, a putt. hole in the floor. Imagine <laughs> if she had met him and here she was a lawyer already and making money. Mm-hmm. Imagine if she had met him and said, you know what? He's not at my standard. You know, mm-hmm. he ended up being the president. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm saying don't make a judgment call because of where the person is now, mm-hmm. but see where their mindset is and their willingness. And, and, and if you can help them reach that goal, but don't just throw somebody out because maybe you make more money than them or you don't know mm. where that person is going to end up. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. And, and the mind, the mind, Ooh, the mind is so powerful, but mm-hmm. if they have the right mindset and if you, the same mindset as you and, and, you know, moving forward, that's helpful. Yeah. But if they don't, like there's a way to get there, you know, if you yes. find yourself um, yes. currently there, you know, sit this book on the nightstand and be like, hey, you should yes. just, yeah, check this out. It's a good read. That's a good one, Candace. Because I've heard women say, well, I have a, a 780 credit score and he, you know, I'm not dating anybody with less. Well, no, you, you may be eliminating so many great guys with mm-hmm. potential. They're just not there yet. A lot of guys, are, they develop a little slower than women. It's just, a, it's a biological fact. Mm-hmm. So don't give up on somebody because of where they are now. It's, you know, I, I just can't stress that yeah. enough. And you, and like you said, you never know. People grow up differently too. So, you know, some sometimes they might've got yes. themselves in a bind or what have you, or you might've gotten yourself in a bind and you know how to work through it and you are working through it. So, you know, don't just 
write people off. Um, definitely don't just write people off. And uh, I really, I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, right. The mindset, the mindset, the mindset. Pay attention to that. Pay attention. You can have somebody making mm-hmm. a lot of money with a mm-hmm. broke mindset. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is so true. Yeah. That is so true. And there's some diamonds in the mm-hmm. rough out there too. That may not look like anything. Yes, but you never yeah. know. That's so good. And so I'm going to ask um, in closing, just two more questions that I ask everyone who comes into onto the show. Um, what's the best piece of money advice that you never received? So something that you wish you had have learned earlier that you know now. Ooh, the best piece of money advice. I like that question that I never received. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I eventually did get the caught the advice, but I wish I would have received it earlier. And that's saving and investing earlier. You know, Mm, I I started saving and investing for my retirement in my twenties because that's when I started my job, you know, Mm. I I started taking out, but I wish I would have gotten to stocks and things at a much younger age, which is one of the reasons I I got my involved at age 10. Um, Mm. I wish I had known that it, I thought about that one day. I said, if I had bought some Nike stock, like when I was like 15, you know, I'd be a millionaire right now. I would have retired three yes. times over. So yes. <laughs> yeah. I, you can't, cause you can't get time back. So I wish I would have started that much earlier than I did. Mm, that's good. That's good. So start investing young and mm-hmm. that eighth wonder, right? Compounding. Yes. <laughs> compound yes. Interest, the eighth you know? wonder of the world. Yeah. Um, and then the last question is what's next for you? I know a lot of people are very sensitive with this one. So, (laughs) you know, you can, you can share as much as you like, or as little as you like, you have a number three bestseller book Uh on uh, Amazon. So what is next? What is next in your, your goals? You know, not to sound trite or corny, but Mm -hmm. this is, this is the God's honest truth. I, I mean, I have a lot going on right now, you know, with the book and I'm still working full time and um, I'm a minister. I'm kind of a co-pastor at a church every Sunday. And so and I'm always working on de- developing the word. So I uh, take care of my elderly parents, I'm married. So I have a lot going on. But in terms of probably what you're asking, what's next in the financial field and things of that nature. Honestly, I kind of just take my leads as as, as the Lord leads me, what, you know, he will tell me what's next. And for now I haven't heard anything big. I'm, I am working on another book, but it's not financial at all. It's um, Mm -hmm. something else. So Mm -hmm. in the financial field, I'm just going to kind of continue doing what I'm doing. I've been helping a lot of people. Like I said, people have been reaching out Mm -hmm. to me who've read the book. I've been doing some, you know, personal consultations, uh, financial consultations, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. But in terms of anything huge or another follow-up book, I kind of have to just see. Because the Lord led me to read to, to write this one. I This wasn't even my own doing, so. It was good. Yeah, I, I certainly would have to wait and see if I get any holy inspiration for the next one. Some people have asked for a part two, but I'm mm-hmm. not feeling that right now. So. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. enough to keep me busy, I guess is what I'm saying right now. <laughs> That's good. Well, we're excited if there's a part two when the other book comes out. Um, We're so excited. Uh, Today has been such a great uh, pleasure just talking to you and interviewing uh, interviewing you and and soaking up some of the knowledge Mm -hmm. that you have. I feel like we could have like a three hour conversation. (laughs) 
but we don't we don't have that much time um but thank you so much uh miss barbara for for coming on the show for taking the time to talk to me i really really do appreciate it so per usual, I be knowing, I be knowing. Now, Minister Barbara had some great, great tips for us today. And she's just so dope to me. Like, she's really doing some work for the kingdom. So let's go ahead and get into these top 10 tips. The first tip is that anything can change you, but the Bible can transform you. Transformation is permanent. The second is make a commitment to making a change and doing something different when it comes to your finances. Start with picking up some good literature about finances or even subscribing to some good newsletters. The third is to remember that God is the source of our finances and we are just managers of those funds. The fourth is to teach your children not only how to be smart consumers, but also how to be smart investors. The fifth is to open a state 529 plan for your children. Now, if you don't got kids like me, save this one for the future. The sixth is to try everything you can not to take out student loans. Make sure you're using every opportunity available to you and take out only the minimum amount of debt that you need. The seventh is to automate your savings and your investing. The eighth is to sign up for non-credit finance courses at community colleges. The ninth is to take what God has given you and be fruitful with it. And the tenth is to start investing early or start investing now if you haven't done so already. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Now that was a good episode and a great way to end season one. Remember to check back in with us on February 15th when we'll be launching season two. We'll see y'all in a couple weeks.